Welcome to RCS. I'm Nick. I'm Dan. How's it going, man? I'm good. <laughs> yeah? Uh, I wish people knew what went on before we hit the record button. I'm glad they don't. That's yeah, how we exactly. have sponsors. I'll tell you. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Speaking of I, our sponsors, yeah. Please, let's do that. Yeah, yeah let's do our sponsors. Okay. So we, uh, of course, Haggerty, Carter Subaru, Rainier Beer, Broadcasting at Drivers Club, America's Automotive Trust, which is LeMay, mm-hmm. and a big shout out to a sponsor that helped us out a lot this weekend. That was Avance. So <laughs> we were heavily involved with Avance this it weekend. It was a big Avance weekend. Yes, it was. Half we can talk about, half we cannot. Yeah. So, yeah. I but, mean, that's just... The restraining order more than anything. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it was a very dirty weekend. <laughs> thanks to Avance. God. <laughs> we did some fun stuff with the cars on uh, on Saturday with a, in a group of friends. And anybody that and, – and I have gotten this a lot, just so we're clear. What Dan and I did on Saturday, we didn't exclude anybody. It yeah. was meant to do something. <laughs> okay. We yeah. did a photo shoot, and certain yeah. cars were on there. <laughs> yeah. I've had so many people that thanks came up to invite. me yesterday. I'm it like, was like – why couldn't I go? And I'm like, uh, not our event, it's not our event. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Well, technically, I mean, technically it was, it I was. Guess. But yeah, so but more on that later. And then yesterday we uh, we went out to the new Avance off road dirt course at Dirtfish. Yeah, which is not part of Dirtfish. No, it's just on the back property of Dirtfish. But it's going to be, from what I'm hearing, it's going to be a monthly event kind of thing. They're going to improve this course. Um, you know, it's it's every obstacle's good. It's good to have a spotter. Um, yes, very good to have a spotter and get, a tow don't vehicle. Get, don't get too cocky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably too late. Most of that stuff's out on Facebook now. As far as uh, I took, <laughs> I got cocky. I'm gonna take that other line. I'll be fine. I don't need a spotter. We were having fun about it, but then I kind of threw a lot of mud at certain people we know. <laughs> Brandon <laughs> Ben Powell being one of them. <laughs> so. It was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, we a got a time. huge thanks to them. That was a, a lot of the volunteers above and beyond. That was really fun. Thanks to the photographers who got very dirty. Yeah. Just being out there. <laughs> Carl was out there. Our good buddy, my buddy Trevor was out there. Jason Tang was out there. It was a bunch of, I mean, a lot of great shots came out of it. Yeah, and get, it's Mike Gatch know. got some good ones on my car, yeah. too, that I'm saving. Man. Your car? My I'm truck. Just, yeah, I was yeah, going to say, so you're a truck guy now. I know. Man. I'm a truck guy now. <laughs> Yeah, that thing, this is the third time in the last 24 hours it's been washed was today. Yeah. <laughs> it's still getting more dirt falling out. I, I mean, <laughs> after Saturday, it was my car wasn't too bad, but yet now I'm going to have to physically, like, I was talking to our good friend Davis about this. I'm going to have to jack it up. I'm going to have to drop all the skid plates. There's so much, there's, if you're an Avance member, you should definitely come out and see one of the events if you don't have an off-road car. Off, also, um, there was a front-wheel drive Jetta out there that Wagon. did the course, so you have no excuse. <laughs> so get out there and do it. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to. There's some. I'm gonna need to do some undercarriage cleaning, big time. So yeah. Yeah, I got to drop the skid plates too. So, I mean, we we spent probably a half hour just pressure washing each car. Uh, yeah, and I'm not going to tell you where we washed it because I don't. And there were signs that say we shouldn't have washed it there, but that's okay. <laughs> it, most it, it was a car wash, but there was definitely a sign that said "Do not wash heavily mudded cars." Yeah, we feel bad now. <laughs> yeah, sorry exactly. about that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we were not the only ones, though. God no, <laughs> yeah, guarantee yeah. you that. Uh, but yeah, so I got I washed it there. Then I came home and washed it some more, and there's still a ton of dirt in my driveway because yeah. I got under there, like laid down and sprayed off the dirt just off the control arms. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just coming off in brick-sized chunks. 
It was like, the, and you'll have to understand this. Is what I was saying. There, it's there was a part of the course that is. I mean, the best thing I can put is like it was like bark and mulch on top of water, <laughs> and right. it's everywhere. Like it's in my control arms and everything. So, I'm grow, I'm growing a small forest. Under I was going to say so, we have yeah. a very fertile garden underneath. Absolutely, our yeah. Now. That's not supposed to be in there. So yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun though. I took it to Park Place today. Oh, how nice! And had them after we I joked wa- about that. Yeah. So yeah. after I'd washed it the second time, I was like, man, my engine is still filthy. The interior's filthy. I was like, forget it. I just called them ahead of time. I was like, look, I don't actually care about the outside of the truck because it's raining anyway. And so I just had them do. They they did wash it anyway, but I had them do just the underside, the wheels, and the interior and the engine. Okay. I was like, just clean the engine. That's really what I want to do. And I was so glad I did. They were still laughing because like, there's so much dirt in here still. I was gonna say we just left it all at Park Place. That's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the Subaru needs to go there. Yeah. Uh, thanks to them, though. Yeah. yeah. So Saturday was an interesting day, though. Let's wind a little back to that. We we ended up doing a lot of uh, forest road driving, mm-hmm. and most anybody who's been out on any forest roads at all might be surprised to find that most of them are mapped on Google Maps. Almost all of them, actually, um, to a fault. And to a fault is where we get into our Carter Subaru Tech Tip of the Week. I intentionally didn't tell Nick this story at all because I wanted him to laugh at me and get his actual reaction. So leaving that <laughs> took me about an extra 45 minutes because oh. <laughs> I took a left instead of a right, uh, which if, if I brought you out there, you At would the get bottom? it. At uh, bottom? Sort of, a little before the bottom. That took me on oh. a very long road. Did you, go, did you end up going up and like past the railroad track and then come into the lake the other way? Yes. Yeah, I've been trying to find that road. I figured it out after we got back. But yeah, you, you. So basically, before the railroad tracks, you took a left, and yes, and it took you all the way up. So I've done that, the opposite of that, on accident with Gary Bass, our good buddy, and we only went halfway down because we didn't know where it went. Yeah. So yeah, it's. I a went long all the road. way to a giant tank trap, which allowed, which would have, if that wasn't there, I would have been on ni- back on ninety in like five minutes from that section, because I was like, oh, I'm finally here. Nope, giant tank trap. And I Ooh. couldn't get past it. And so I went back. And then so what I found is that they, they tried to mark everything with orange arrows. Yeah. Yeah. One of those orange arrows. Yeah. Somebody get sp- did somebody spin it? <laughs> Unless you're on a motorcycle oh. and good at riding, yeah. you're not getting up there. Okay. I did. <laughs> because I didn't have a spot to turn around. Ah. And so four low and lockers came in real handy. Cool. Uh, yeah. So yeah, fun story, but I got exceptionally lost. And I've been up there tons of times, but I got so turned around, I was like, I have not spent nearly enough time up here. And just to give some clarification to our, our listeners, so Dan took me up there the first time and showed yes. me the area. <laughs> I then went up there after that with my parents and, and got lost in, in their Land Rover and ended up in, in Natchez in, somehow. We, we made it through. <laughs> and then we, Dan goes up there and gets lost. I mean, it's very easy to do. Yeah. I figured it out because when I came back, I wanted to figure out how to get up there because there's a bunch of photos of people. You go under those railroad tracks down there, which mm-hmm. is fun. And that I figured out the road you can go up there and get to the top of the railroad tracks because there's a bunch of people that go up there and film the trains when they're coming across because it's a yep. really cool area up there and so uh and i saw I've, I've been trying to figure out that road so you accidentally found that road nice yeah job. i don't know if i can find it again but I know, that yeah. brings me into our tip yeah. of the week yeah. and <laughs> this is what i should have done offline maps and i knew not just <laughs> offline maps the offline <laughs> maps are only really good if you're looking down and you can really distinguish the roads apart which yeah. is actually really hard to do on forest service roads because one you typically don't have a cell phone signal so it's hard to triangulate triangulate your location without gps and the cell phone signal. So phones don't do a very good job of that. So special applications do, though. 
And that's where we get into things like Gaia or other specifically off-road mapping software. And the reason those work so good is because you can do what it's called breadcrumbs, but everybody has their own name for it. Breadcrumbs are basically, they allow you to map your route and then back it out. Like you can be like, you can just turn around and follow your breadcrumbs right back to where you started. And you should t- be able to, yeah. Yeah, and it's a feature on a lot of standalone GPSs too, but not so much on car street-specific ones. That's like what I've noticed when I started doing my research on what would work for this, because the phone's one thing, but it's a, it's a mixed-use resource. So it's like, you know, if you're playing your music through it, or you, your app starts stops working, which does happen no matter what device you've got, you might get lost again. Yeah. So Garmin has an Overlander one. It's like 700 bucks that does it. Um, a lot of these dedicated units, and I started talking to Brandon and Powell, and Trail Tech makes probably the most affordable one, which is still about 400 bucks, um, but it can it's dual purpose. It's completely waterproof. People use it on their motorcycles all the time. That's really what it's for, mm. but it does have that feature. So like I said, there are apps that do this. So if you have a dedicated iPad or something like that, note on there, iPads without cellular do not have GPS built in. You can add a GPS extension onto it, but they, they don't... They will access through your phone, though. The yeah, GPS, but yeah. They, only, they only... It's not GPS, though. It's cell phone tower and yeah. Wi-Fi and then triangulation, so it's actually really bad at this. You have to have a tablet with a GPS sensor built in. Um, so there are apps, but they're limited, so know what you're getting into there. So the last $750 iPad Mini and a $500 one, it's a big jump there. And I will say this, too, on the newer cars, and I figured this out this weekend, um, Gaia just is now part of Apple CarPlay. Yeah. If you have Gaia, it will now come up on your Apple CarPlay, which is really nice. Um, so Yeah, but if that. you're going to go out exploring forest service roads, and especially an area like around any of the areas around here, like Stampede Pass, or if you're on, especially on the east side, you'll fit over the Anyat Chelan area where the, the Wabder runs through, like those are a spider web of trails. You can get lost and turned around super easy on any of them, and they all do look the same after a while especially with the light changing throughout the day and the weather changing all the time. So breadcrumbs are a r- really easy to feature to f- find in a lot of apps. That's the cheapest way to get into it. And yeah, don't get yourself lost. Go with a full tank. If not, just you know, <laughs> get one of those giant spools in the back of your truck and then tie the string. <laughs> and as you drive, just take the spool back. It's fine. Yeah. Old school GPS. Yeah. yeah. Shall we introduce our guests? Yes, you should. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Our guest today wouldn't have helped us this weekend, but he would have helped me when I had my Turbo S before I sold it. Yeah. So, Sam Stone, welcome to the show. Thanks uh, for having me. President, co-owner at Evolution Motorsports. So, if you need a, a tune on, well, anything, pretty much in the sports car realm, uh, you're kind of the go-to guy. You've got uh, quite a bit of, let's say, credibility under your belt, too. I've looked up a lot of your cars, seen some videos. You've got some extremely fast Porsches out there. Yeah. So, um, we're in the we've long time been established as an Arizona company. Um, we're in the process of of moving up to the uh, Kirkland area, actually Totem Lake, um, and building a shop up there, um, which we expect should be done sometime this winter. Is is what we're shooting for. Score. Um, and to give some background, Evolution Motorsports. It's a twenty year old company. Um, our bread and butter is Porsche, but we also specialize in tuning and performance for mainly other European exotic cars. Um, so we do a lot with McLaren, Lamborghini, high-end Audis, uh, Maserati, Ferrari, kind of stay in, stay in that niche. And basically what we specialize in is, is, you know, adding power and making them go faster in a straight line. Okay, so standing mile, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, everything from everything from standing mile to, you know, you got a streetcar and you want to go faster up the on-ramp or, you know, race against your buddies and, and go faster with that. Cool. Uh, I've, I've All re- things I want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've really, uh, 
you know, in the past, we we had kind of like two sides to the business. We had what was called the special ops, which is where, you know, we're really known for doing these thousand horsepower plush Porsche builds, you know, taking that little six cylinder motor, doing all the upgrades to the car, getting, you know, needed to get it to go 200 plus miles an hour and a half mile kind of thing. That side of the business, you know, we split off into a separate company, which is based in Arizona. It's called EvoSpec, still doing their thing. And Evolution Motorsports has kind of narrowed its focus down to more streetcar-based stuff. So anything that you do with, you know, stock or near-stock motor, um, you know, stock ECU, you want to run pump gas in it, you know, that's really where we have narrowed our focus to and and, uh, have been working to excel. That's most people, I think. I, yeah, yeah not everybody out there wants a thousand horsepower daily driver. It'd be fun, but yeah, and there's a lot that goes with that. Yeah, that was that was kind of exactly it. Is that you know, there's there's a lot of these cars, and there are a lot of people out there who even want to do things like put race gas or you know run ethanol or something like that. But there's an awful lot of people who who you know, frankly, and that's that's really where we've you know kind of narrowed our focus to. So I, I've been owner of the company for coming up on four years now. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been involved in the company originally as a, uh, uh, I originally sold and, and serviced the product for a dealer of ours in Minnesota, Mola Motorsports, 10 plus years ago now. And that brought me to, you know, work there and, and brought me to where I am now as kind of an owner and, and uh, running the show. And, you know, the thing that, the thing that drew me in and the thing that made me want to become so invested in it is we have cars out there uh, Evolution Motorsports was built back in the day making 700 horsepower 996 turbos. 2006, 2007, you know, they were they were taking, you know, 415 horsepower car and doing these mods to to build it up to, you know, 700 horsepower car, which, you know, back in that day, 700 horsepower yeah, was, was like real horsepower back then. Astronomical. Yeah. Um, you know, that was when I remember when Chevy came out with the Z06 making 505 horsepower and that was like mind-blowing. This is 200 horsepower beyond that. And, and if you've ever driven those two cars, you know, there's, there's a light year of difference between yeah. them. <laughs> um, but so, so they built, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of, of these 996s back in the day. And we see them around a lot. And, you know, th- they held up. And that legacy of building something that creates such extreme performance, but, you know, stands the test of time, it was, was something that I think is... Uh, highly unusual, especially in the, in the modified car industry. And, you know, made me want to get involved with that and, and carry that legacy forward. Yeah. Cause it's, it's usually a sliding scale. You slide it one way or the other. You want more performance. Well, then that slides the reliability scale the other way. Yeah. At a much faster rate. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's everything from reliability to, you know, reliability. I think of it in terms of like, you know, how, how, it's not just how often does it break, how often does it need to be maintained, that kind of thing, yeah. to, to keep it from breaking. And, um, you know, everything from there to, you know, how much how much care and attention does it require from an owner to do this? Cars these days are now are super sophisticated. And, you know, it, it, frankly, there's a lot in the industry who aren't aren't qualified to know everything that goes together to make these cars what they are. I mean, you know, we're... Everybody says that the the internal combustion engine is dying, but we're we're at the golden age of it. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say we're getting tons of horsepower. Like you know, stock five hundred horsepower is well 
nobody really bats an eye anywhere. Like, oh yeah, that's a performance car number now. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can <laughs> you can you can go buy cars that run you know almost in the nines you know off the showroom floor running whatever gas you throw in the tank. Which insurance is, companies. Love I was gonna that. say I think I think I think a stock seven twenty does run in the nines now. Yeah, seven. Uh, there there's a <laughs> lot of cars that are either you know on the right day they're in it or they're like super close. Yeah. I mean there's there's maybe you know there's probably a half dozen cars or something like that at this point. Um, you know, 720, uh, the new 992 Turbo S <laughs> is like... 0.16, I think it is now. Yeah. Point 0.1 seconds slower than a 918. Yeah. And, you know, even... <laughs> For all those people that are capable of driving cars that fast. Yeah, I mean, it's launch so. control. You yeah, I was going to say. Take your foot off the brake and... Yeah, let it go. I'm not worried about launching the car. I'm, I'm worried about some of these um, individuals that shouldn't be driving cars that fast. It's like what what's what's the record right now for a Hellcat? It's like less than like a tenth of a mile from the factory. <laughs> <laughs> like so yeah, yeah, a lot easier to do with a Hellcat. Yes, true. true. But true. that I mean that's you know Hellcat for example that's you know almost old school tech there. There's 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 none of the ridiculously sophisticated stuff that you know we deal with in the niche that we have. You know, a car doesn't even have direct injection or nope. you know dual clutch transmissions. It's a Push rods and just yeah. got a can of fuel that just dumps it in the supercharger. Yep, just <laughs> wide tires and a strong drive shaft and a strong bottom end and a ton of horsepower. Yeah, it, it, mu- it must be it straight. <laughs> it must be nice to be in that industry. Is kind of all I can think sometimes. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You d- wait. It doesn't have to turn. Nope. Perfect. <laughs> it it does. There aren't like twelve acronyms that you know twelve acronyms that go into getting the car to perform that we have to figure out and and you know make work and and maintain yeah let's take a quick break uh we come back we'll talk more about you and your story and then we'll go into the how you got into what you're doing now we'll be right back we spend an average of eight hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens laptops smartphones tablets even digital refrigerators but what are we really connected to isn't it time you connected to something greater Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty for people who love cars. And we're back. So, like, uh, Rain City Supercars has always been a car show about people. So we were going to kind of go back and figure out where you came from, you know, like, as we always joke about, you know, where were the kids that had 10,000 Hot Wheels and 10,000 Legos and I still have 10,000 Hot Wheels and Legos. But uh, (laughs) were you always a car guy? Is oh, that yeah. always, a, always a passion? Oh, yeah. Dad okay. was a mechanical engineer, watched NASCAR races on TV from one of my earliest memories, sure. um, that kind of thing. I, that's, that's, the, that's the one thing about NASCAR I can watch. I will watch the tech all day. Like driving, yeah, but like the tech that goes into it to make sure the car is set up and, and, the, and watching cars be set up for different courses and things like that, that's so cool. So. Oh, it's the, my, favorite, my favorite way to look at NASCAR is that it's old tech, but it's not low tech. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the the... The volumes of scale that goes into that and the amount that's at stake, like there are some massively gifted people doing epic things with, with what they have to work with in that industry. And that's before it even gets on the track. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's not the drivers necessarily, but yeah. Yeah. I remember somebody was, showed me a photo once and I, I can't, fi- I couldn't find it for this day, but it was like, it was a NASCAR sitting on a flat surface and it doesn't sit. Fl- like oh yeah. Like you think you know, like a normal car, but like, no, it's, it was set up for some real high banking track and I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. You know, even, even the whole body and this was, you know, they've, they've, uh, as they've gone through the generations, they've kind of tried to straighten them out and now especially make them more, you know, look like a, an actual Camaro or Mustang or whatever that you can go buy. But, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 
you see some of those cars and it's like they've got the headlight and the taillight stickers and the rest of the thing shaped like a banana. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard when you go to the dealership. I looked for something, a Camaro with the, like the lift flaps on the roof. They don't sell them. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time driving backwards. So, but, so you have a mechanical engineering degree. Yes. Okay. And did, did, was that something you went into school to, to, to go for or was that, that, that was the route you wanted to do? Yeah, that was, that was what I wanted to do. Um, I, you know, my dad was a mechanical engineer. That was, okay. that was kind of where that, uh, where that came from. And, you know, it was, it was probably not the way that I should have gone. <laughs> uh, in fact, to be honest with you, I, I didn't complete the degree. Um, I made it, made it three years through before, uh, well, here's an interesting story. I spent so much time working to pay to fix my car that I had blown up a couple of times while I was in school, uh, that, uh, I was not effective at engineering school and, uh, accumulated too much credits for my GPA and, and, uh, had to drop out and went to work full time in the industry. And nothing wrong with that. Luckily it's Dan paid and off. I are still the, same, the kind of same thing. It's like, yeah, I, I went to a school that was, had a college in it, but I don't know how I really, they never gave me a piece of paper at the end. I, so. <laughs> I, you know, going to college was like a very valuable life experience. And there are things that I learned there that, you know, I, I definitely put to use in, in my everyday life. I got through all the physics classes, a lot of the thermo, you know, a lot of the other things that are, that are things that really pay off when you do this kind of thing. They give you, you know, true, honest understandings of, of kind of the phenomenons that are going on. Um, but it's also, you know, I, I have met people who are wonderful mechanical engineers and I am not those not that sure. type of person. Sure. So. <laughs> it takes a different time. I mean, we've all met the typical mechanical engineer. You yeah. Know, that, you know. They're, they're amazing people. Um, you know, I've, I've even worked with some that are, that are phenomenal engineers, but it is an amazing personality. That it, it, yes, it's that. a personality. So did you, did you work in, in, on cars and stuff when you were in school or was that something afterwards? So, you know, there are moments in life where you can picture like one thing that changes the total direction. Like I said, I was raised on cars, raised in racing, but you know, there's a difference between being an enthusiast and actually practicing it. And when I was 13, 14 years old, I was very heavily into the racing sim scene at the time. This is back when, if anybody's familiar with it from way back in the day, like sports car GT, uh, F1 2001, F1 2002, stuff like that. And I was heavy into that and um, was a member of a Danish uh, racing sim forum, Race Sim Central, if anybody remembers that. Huh. Bring but it yeah, way back. That would be Dan. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anywho, I, I, as a preteen, started a mod group uh, focused at doing the 1970 World Sports Cart Series. And uh, we worked on it for, for a year or two. We, we produced a couple cars. It was a you know, really good thing, probably well ahead of my time. I wasn't really equipped for it, but still we did some cool stuff. Um, but uh, a forum member uh, saw that I was located near him and I had shared some information about, you know, kind of who I am and, you know, my age. The and safe way of finding small children on the internet. It was, <laughs> hey, I mean, I'm here yeah, now, yeah, so sure, it, yeah, it, okay, it yeah, worked out. Like, like, I'm like, is this going dark? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, this, the old <laughs> days of AOL when you could actually talk to somebody that didn't have a dark side. Yeah, okay, I, yeah. I feel like that was like the age where it went from just straight up pedophilia to, you know, the current thing where everybody overshares. But, yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, okay. But yeah. Uh, uh, a forum member, you know, he's like, hey, I'm a member of the local Audi club. And this was, I lived in uh, a suburb of Minneapolis at the okay. time. And he's like, mentioned that he was an instructor with the Audi club and invited me out because they were doing an ice driving event. 
Oh, fun. Um, and he had a – this was – It's easy to do in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it was uh, uh, lots there, of lakes. Yeah, well, yeah. There, there was a. It was actually harder than you think because um, ice fishing is a huge thing in Minnesota. Oh, oh yeah. so <laughs> there <Yeah>. shed. <laughs> yeah, there's create there, the course between. Well, so there there's a lake that uh, um, is shallow enough that the fishing sucks on it, uh, but there are no springs, so there's reliable ice on it, and nobody puts fish houses on it. Okay, so. You know, even to this day, the Audi Club goes down there, and, and a couple times a year, if the conditions allow, they will um, basically set up a winter driving clinic where you've got everything from, you know, a slalom course on total glare ice, uh, a skid pad where basically you try to get your all-wheel drive car to do axis spins, and then the feature, which is, you know, a, a mile or a mile and a half long kind of road course where you go and, and drive around, and uh, in the afternoon, they time everybody, and you know, again, a big car enthusiast, but had never really been exposed to, hadn't really figured out, you know, how my, how my entry into, you know, being a participant in the car scene was going to work And you were mid-teens? I was, I was like 13, 14. It was a couple of years before I'd gotten my license. And uh, so he invites me out. My, I talked my dad into bringing me down there and he has a, a, a B5S4 Avant. Cool. Cool car. And a super nice car. Super awesome car, um, and it was chipped, and he had snow tires on it. So went and hopped in this, you know, 320-horsepower all-wheel drive wagon on snow tires driven by a competent driver, and went out there, rode shotgun with him all day, and had the time of my life. Um, got to, you know, live the WRC experience in real life. And from from then on was, you know, firmly in the European camp, and... Um, Ended up getting pretty into, you know, the Audi scene because having a car that you could get into and enjoy year-round in Minnesota was a huge deal. Um, I had actually, you know, when I turned 15 and my dad and I kind of started shopping for my for my first car, you know, you don't know where you're going to get into it. And uh, uh, we had looked at a couple cars. There was a, there was a red 69 911 which was the first car that I ever looked at and tried to convince. It's a great my, first car in Minnesota for a 16-year-old. I mean, it was, yeah. It would have been I mean, a very good investment. It, yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's what I thought, yeah. you know, going into it is it's like, you know, that thing would have. You understand that. It's going to be worth a lot. You should buy it now. Well, it was, it was, it was a running driving car for like $3,000. Wow. And it's like, you know, I, I was thinking about it. And if, if that thing could have made it through, you know, 10 winters, as a you know teenager driving and maintaining it, like sure it would have been worth a lot of money, but you know Minus the whole <laughs> that would have never salt and a German car, but yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we looked at uh, like nine elevens, and that was like the cheapest one. All the other ones you in the had price an were... awesome dad, by the way. Like, yeah, oh he is. My, <laughs> he my is. parents were like, "You're getting a Ford Granada." <laughs> yeah, he was the the hardest time I ever got from him is you know why why couldn't it have been like a Mustang or Camaro or something like that? <laughs> but um, so uh, long story short, we ended up I ended up you know kind of focusing on the Audi thing and figured out you know the the cheapest Audis that you could get into were. Um, at the time, you know, early, early nineties and like late eighties, you know, five cylinder Audis. Mm -hmm. Cool ones. And, uh, a coworker of his had a, it was a 1990 80 Quattro. Um, his wife was driving it, um, had some, had some engine issues like the, the oil pressure light turned on. So he, he finds this thing and we go over and look at it. You know, he knew this guy was in the town that we lived in. 
we go take it for a test drive. He he drove it home, and I don't know what he did, but he's like, you know, go figure out how to drive stick in this thing. So he went inside for 10 minutes. I, you know, got into it and basically managed to, you know, maneuver it up and down the driveway without stalling it, kind of figured it out. And we went for a drive from there. And it blew huge clouds of smoke whenever we stopped. And every time you went over 2,000 RPM, this, like, German death buzzer warning light went on. <laughs> I remember those in those cars. <laughs> And uh, like a great first car. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it had a salvage title. the The hood had been keyed. Um, you know, paint was like flaking off, but like it was, it was like done. It was deal. yours. Though. It, it was mine. Yeah, like immediately. Exactly. Yeah. Like it, it had no idea what was coming to it. <laughs> so we we bought that car, and it was something like May or June. My birthday's in February, and we bought the thing. We bring it home, and immediately, you know, it was going to be the project that we worked on all all summer and fall. And I remember the the first thing that we were going to do was, uh, you know, trying to trying to save the motor was, uh, you know, see if the if the pressure relief valve in the oil pump uh, had gotten stuck. And you know, I'd helped him do countless oil changes and and other stuff like that. But you know, it was always kind of a supervisor role rather than than a participant. And uh, you know, I, I still remember kind of diving in there, you know, not wanting to mess anything up, but. The whole thing's going to come apart anyway. So what do you? Yeah, have I was going to say perfect car to do it on though. It, it, yeah, it, it was an it was an amazing. Experience. And you got the speech of it's your car. You got to work on it. Yep. Yep. So and and it, I mean he nobody had to nobody had to preach that to me. Sure. I was I was I was going out there you know sitting in the driver's seat making noises until midnight every night. <laughs> I still do that. And uh, <laughs> so tore the whole thing down. We pulled the engine out. The engine was the engine was toast. I think all the rings were broken. All the bearings were were seized. Oh, um, wow. the, the oil, the rings had broken first for whatever reason, and it had diluted the oil so much that it trashed the rest of the motor. Um, but uh, so we we rebuilt the motor. We went through all the suspension, all the brakes, rebuilt the whole car. Um, and I want to say by sometime that fall, um, I had you know gotten it done and was was mechanically a brand new car. Um, and uh, I had through the forum member that that brought me to that event, I had gotten involved in a in a local um, kind of informal Audi club who had a forum, mnaudi.com. Um, if anybody ever crosses paths in Minnesota, it's it's a great group. It was an amazing group 15 years ago. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember, I think that November, um, I got it together and a uh, club member who had helped us out with the rebuild came out and rode shotgun while I drove my car to meet and uh, introduced myself to introduced myself to the club, which I, you know, I had a project thread going. That was a big thing to do back then. And, and uh, um, you know, the car drove great. It was, it was, it was awesome. And um, that winter I turned 16. Uh, three days after I got my license, I went to a, one of the winter driving clinics. And I remember I got, I think the third fastest time of the day at that point, uh, beating all but one or two of the instructors in the club. Nice. And, Good start. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was it was so much fun. Uh, the car was it didn't weigh much. It didn't have much power. Um, it had it had okay grip, but you know, for one reason or another, from you know five years of intense racing sim driving, I I hopped in and and kind of felt like a natural at that point. Um, so that car, everything took off from there. So um, you know, you talk about paying tuition to the school, hard knocks, and and you know, that, that car 
was my education in, in somewhere or another. Every, everything that I've done since then, you know, it, it goes back to it goes back to that one day on on uh, Lake Cynthia in, in Minnesota. Sure. So, um, and my my ventures with uh, with modification and tuning went on that car after I'd had it a, a year or two. So those things came stock with like Bosch CIS injection, which is an amazing system if you ever learn how it works, but is like very cryptic if you don't know how it works. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it always tends to deteriorate in some way or another and somewhere between the hubris of being 17 and, you know, the actual practical issues of the car not super running right. I decided that uh, it had to go and I was going to put a uh, standalone fuel injection in it. Nice. So I went and bought a... That's a big undertaking yeah. for a 17-year-old. Oh. <laughs> I mean. So I, I went and bought a Megasquirt kit, which if, if you haven't heard of it before, is a an open source DIY um, fuel man or like engine management system. Okay. So like, like literally you go to this website. I think it still exists. It's made in like frames and straight HTML. Like it looks super basic. Do you, um, you know of it, Dan? Yeah. Okay. Um, but at, at that point in time, like nobody, it, now you can go and, and go and buy them. And it's actually, it's a great, super cost effective system, but you can buy them where people manufacture them. And it's like, it's fairly legit. This was not that. This was, <laughs> this was, you go and buy a circuit board and then you go and buy about a hundred different resistors and transistors yep. and capacitors off of like DigiKey. And then you have to solder it yourself when you're yeah. 17 and you've never soldered anything together in your life. <laughs> So I spent. What could go wrong? Oh, <laughs> well, it's just the fuel. Just a little blue smoke. Just, just yeah. fine. Just yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I bought this kit. I put it together. Didn't work. Ended up. I ended up having to like send it off to some guy to like fix a couple things before it was done. But uh, sure enough, and this it was sometime in winter or fall. I want to say in, in Minnesota, which gets very cold. And <laughs> Understatement, right uh, there. I had a. There was some kind of like long weekend off of school. And I remember I got off school, drove the car into the garage, took the took the CIS head out, and the 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 saving grace that I'm looking back on just with you know horror in my eyes is I cut the wiring harness out of the car in half. Which is like oof, no going back from that. Like nope. paper paperweight oh, from there. Okay. Yeah. And uh with the help of a good friend and uh and the support of my father. Uh, managed to get the uh, new ECU wired into the car, get a fuel system set up, you had to, you know, put a uh, uh, fuel rail with actual EFI injectors and uh, build a new intake for it. <laughs> In three days, we got all this stuff together. And I want to say maybe a day or two after that, I managed to get the car started and, uh, you know, drive it to school or drive it to work or something. Dang. And, uh, you know, sink or swim at that point. <laughs> God. So, um, you know, started to started to learn in earnest. You know, you end up driving everywhere with a laptop in the passenger seat. You know, trying to okay. trying to change numbers and make everything. Dan line shaking up. his head. Pretty, okay. I did that with an RX seven. I fixed it with a V eight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, yeah. So went on with that and. Uh, a year later. I totally understand where you are now, by the way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's, it's at 17, I just decided to design a new fuel system. <laughs> it, it was, well, so yeah, there, there were failures involved at some point in time. There's, there's a date that my wife reminds me of at least twice a year <laughs> where we... Uh, Your wedding anniversary? anniversary? <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, uh, so we, we lived in a small town about 
mm, 25 minutes like outside of the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So you want to go for a date in the city on Friday night. Like there's a lot of country to go through. And it was a very hot, muggy day. And so we're driving along. We come to a stoplight in the middle of nowhere. And you have you still have the same Audi? Yep. Okay. Uh, well, uh, sort of the same car. Okay. Um, I, I did a chassis swap at some point. Um, oh, yeah. You know, if anybody else had said that to me, I'd go, yeah, sure you did. But I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Probably so, did it in a weekend. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it was, yeah. It was kind of a, I had learned that you shouldn't work on your daily driver at some point. Yeah. And uh, namely because there are, it, one, it extends your abilities, and then two, it doesn't leave you stranded when you decide to bite off more than you can chew. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we understand that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was, Mine's it, sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Mine is yeah. sitting yeah. in my shop with a hole in the transmission oh, right okay. now. Oh, yeah, okay. So I don't have one of those. It's yeah. better the yeah. transmission than the motor, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that was a yeah, story there, too. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, so, so we're, at, we're at the stoplight and uh, go to pull away and, like, all of a sudden the car dies. And um, turned out that this mega squirt system just decided to puke its brains out and (laughs) so i I whip out the laptop i fire it up and i see that you know this this beautiful smooth table is now just random numbers basically and uh uh the laptop that i had and you're on a date on a date okay in like 80 degree humid minnesota weather under a light getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and uh with a laptop that has no battery so you have to power it off the car and it shuts (laughs) off at like 12 point four volts and there's like 12.5 volts on the, on the car <laughs> and long story short ended up you know over 30 minutes like writing the firmware to the ecu writing the tune and getting the thing started up again while my now wife is just very pissed off at me oh well, she married <laughs> you the car she, day. she married yeah, you. yeah. yeah. Exactly. why the car day i forgot to defrag the hard drive yeah. <laughs> it, it, oh, it was it was rough but i do i can i can definitely see her waking you up going remember that time you almost killed me in the car when we cooked yeah <laughs> it was yeah it was it, like i said twice a year yeah. always comes up without fail so but. i mean so obviously you're doing this how did you get you said you said you got an, an initially involved with evo evo you, you now own yeah like about seven years ago you were working for a company in minnesota yeah so so the audi the audi got me um when i started going to school uh i needed a i needed a job i had to quit my job you know way out in the country out there and uh there was a shop that opened up and a friend of mine who helped me out with my car ended up vouching for me and basically getting me a job there um that shop was it, it was an entry into the industry but it was, a, it was a rough place to start out and uh after about a year and a half or two years there um, a member of the m and audi community um started a new shop and it was it was well funded and well planned um and i ended up jumping ship to this other shop you know doing inventory I, I, Anything you can to work Any, Anything yeah, I yeah. could to get my foot in the door, basically. Yeah. And um, place opened up. Uh, I think all the original employees were friends out of this out of the Saudi community, which is amazing. They're all phenomenal people. Um, and uh, the owner's brother, uh, the owner came from, from some money, which I still hadn't been exposed to at that time. Uh, but the owner's brother had a 996 Turbo. And he had owned several Porsches and had them all done by Evolution Motorsports at the time. So he bought it and um, did some upgrades to it. And as the guy who had the crazy modified Audi, I eventually ended up being in charge of, you know, kind of the, the care and maintenance of this thing. 
and um, as well as kind of doing all the other sales and tuning because that was my that was my passion at the time. So anything from you know if you walked in there with you know Mark IV Volkswagen, you need an APR tune or figure out why it doesn't run right. You know that would end up with you know in you my need a squirt system. They work great in the heat. <laughs> <laughs> Got a girlfriend? <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, I ended up getting to do some pretty cool stuff like drive, you know, 700 horsepower Porsches when I was 20 years old, which is just mind-blowing at the time. And, uh, and, and that evolved to where, you know, as I went through school and as I made my car faster and broke it several times because I, I, I wasn't that self-sufficient at More that boost. point. More <laughs> there, yeah, there's boost some, is better. <laughs> there's, some, there's some very creative ideas that I had with, uh, with tuning at the time that uh, were proven wrong by physics but um, <laughs> physics always gets in the way um, gravity but uh anywho ended up ended up uh ended up finally getting my head screwed on straight and, and gaining a lot of experience with that had some awesome times working there i, I worked at a uh, shop is called amola motorsports they're based in minnesota they're one of the best shops that you can get in the upper midwest um anything from from exotics to maintenance um but uh you know, eventually wanted to leave Minnesota. It's kind of a cold, hellish place. Nine months out of the year, <laughs> everybody bitches about Seattle winters. They have not lived in the Midwest, and uh, learned of an opening at, at Evo MS for sales, and decided that I wanted to make a career move and a life move. And they were they were down in Arizona at the time. Yep, correct? they were okay. down in uh, down in Tempe at the time. Tempe. Okay, I had talked to you know the reps and and mostly employees at Evo MS almost on a weekly basis you know we'd have a car come in you'd have to call down for a quote and get the get the skinny on what to do and and I felt like I knew it pretty well and the only exposure that I'd had to them was when they delivered a 1400 horsepower 996 GT2 to a customer in Minnesota and that's uh, a great car for the winter (laughs) (laughs) really comfortable yeah it's I'm I'm I don't know Dan did you ever take your car out in the out in the snow oh yeah it's amazing winter I got car. Some snow tires for sale if anybody wants any. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was transition. Yeah. yeah. One of, one of my favorite memories of uh of you know kind of again diving deep into the Porsche Turbo world was um we had about a half dozen uh 996 997 Turbo customers who would daily drive their cars through winter. And there was a day when there was a snowstorm and three guys who were friends decided to show up and there was three 996s that drifted into the parking lot one after the other. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's how you enter. Those guys have it all. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Uh, That's one of the easiest cars to drive in the winter I've ever driven, actually. Yeah. It's crazy how much traction they have. You don't expect it, but it's just point and shoot. As long as you get the right tires, it's fine. I can't believe how well Porsches do in the snow. It's way better than you'd expect. Better than any, like... Audi I've driven. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, the same roof, but yeah. Yeah. I, I started to realize, you know, working in, working what was primarily a service shop is it's like, you know, like when you spend the money for the Porsche, you get, you get a really good quality product. Yeah. Porsche is not one to go with gimmicks, like anything that they put on their car, even if it's a, even if it's an innovative technology, I feel like they've, they very rarely have a miss. And, you know, whereas like with Audi, Volkswagen, Mercedes, there's kind of this rat race that goes on where you end up with them building cars with things that, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool thing and they can, you know, market above each other. But, you know, once that warranty is up, like it really, it can really fall apart kind of catastrophically. I was going to say like intake manifold gasket wear items on C63s. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, there's, there's like, you know, dozens of, dozens of things that I could, 
I could name and you can still name. You know, like the the Audi um, the V8s with the timing chain tensioners. You know, Audis. <laughs> yeah, Audis with the timing chain tensioners, or even like the newer like Audi four liter turbo models, like the S6, RS6, RS7 with the uh, uh, the oil screen on the turbos. Yeah, that will that will destroy an eight thousand dollar set of turbos. And they clog up pretty easily. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, there, there's all the like Audi. Audi's an amazing company, and you know, kind of having gotten into them back in the glory days, so to speak, and become a huge fan of them when, you know, they were dominating like world challenge and like ALMS, you know, they won Le Mans how many, you know, years in a row, or they won Le Mans like something like 12 out of 15 times in the, in the part of the new millennium, you know, they're this awesome company, but eventually you just kind of have to like realize the bullshit that they're doing with like all these stupid engine problems and control arms and just be like, there's a better way. Yeah. Um, which is why I now drive Volkswagens, which is a controversial <laughs> topic in itself. <laughs> so you have an Audi too, though, right? Yeah. So that 1990-80 eventually turned into a uh, Coupe Quattro, which they are very similar platform mates. You know, they share they share a floor pan, and and pretty much I took all the mods off the 80 and, and bolted onto this car and and built it up over time, and uh, still have that car to this day. Over the last year, I've kind of been moving out of Arizona and moving up to here, having all my stuff in two different places. And the coupe kind of became my, that went from being the, the project car that kind of rarely got driven to, you know, being something that I, I relied on and appreciated every day, like I did for almost 10 years of my life, kind of before I bought cars that had, you know, check engine lights and were OBD2 compatible and I didn't build and tune <laughs> myself. Um, and, it was so awesome. I, I lived in Arizona for six years. And in that time, I only had the coupe up and running for about a year of that time. And I eventually, I got to the point where like, I kept breaking it um, for one reason or another. And it would break and I would be so busy that I would sit for like a year or two. And, you know, with any project car, when you get that kind of like use and enjoyment out of it, you start to you start to question if it's like really worth it. Right. Yeah. You know, is, is this thing like worth the, worth the, the space and energy that it takes up in your life? And, you know, I'm, I'm really glad that I, that I got it back together when I did through the circumstances. One, because it, it, you know, I had a car to use up here. It was, it was like a very practical experience, but you know, for, for so much of my life, like I said, for almost 10 years, like driving, driving that car, one very much like it was like an everyday an everyday part of, you know, who I was or what I did. Um, you know, every time I got in that car, you know, when I was like 20, 21 years old, like it hit full boost, it hit red line. <laughs> you know, you, you hear that wonderful five cylinder noise. You hear these crazy turbo noises. You get to drive the thing hard and it like, it makes your day. It's, the fun squeaky turbos, the good ones. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absurdly loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, like, like having, uh, basically like getting that car back and getting to experience it like that was, you know, like getting a part of my identity back. And I feel like that's, that's really important when you develop a relationship like that with a car is like, you know, not shortchanging, you know, how, how much it adds to your life. Basically it's, it's really easy. Like, especially you know, a lot of people say, you know, you turn, you shouldn't turn like a hobby into a career and, you know, I can I can kind of appreciate You're that. You're literally on our hobby that turned into a career, but yeah, okay. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I'm <laughs> good to know. Thanks. No, no, no. I, I'm I'm uh, yeah. I, I I completely agree that that like that that whole paradigm is like is not necessarily valid. 
my my turning my hobby into career has allowed me to do things and like take that passion places that it never would have gone if I was yeah. just working in a garage. Um, but at the same time too, you know, it, it, uh, it, when you get so invested in something, you know, like becoming a business owner and, and, um, getting involved in these kind of like more complex projects, you know, it, it took time away from being able to enjoy time and energy away from being able to enjoy those things on, on my own. Yeah. It's the old adage a mechanics car always needs to be fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Cobbler shoes always need to be repaired. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's really true because, you know, sometimes when you've, you know, when you've been, you know, scratching your brain for like 10 hours a day, the last thing that you want to do is, is, you know, go Go spend three hours. Yeah. Go spend like, you know, a two day weekend working 12 hours a day to, to do something very ambitious. Is this why you'll never work on my computer, Dan? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can you give us a little bit of background on, on, on Evo Motorsports and the fact that, like you said, you it's been around for 20 years. You've owned it for four. Yeah. I mean, have and you and you said now that they're, they're working in Porsches, McLarens, pretty much anything European. Did they did they evolve initially as just Porsche tuners or? Yeah. So originally it was it was uh, pretty much only Porsche based. Okay. And when we started doing tuning ourselves, that was when we started to kind of take on these other model lines because the investment and the resources that you put into being able to tune cars kind of kind of translate across families. Um, essentially when the company invested in being able to do tuning itself versus outsourcing that they bought the ability to modify like Bosch ECUs at the time. And, you know, there are relative similarities between, you know, a Bosch ECU and a Porsche, one in, you know, VW Audi, um, McLaren, um, you know, so on and so well, forth. I mean, that's a big jump. I mean, when you, when you think, talk about it, not only financially, but to go in and, and, and start working on a, a system in a McLaren or a Porsche, that's, there's a lot that can go wrong. I mean, yeah. there's, and there's a lot of companies out there that have done it wrong and there's a lot that have done it right, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, one of my favorite sayings is like, you don't want to ask questions that you don't know the answer to. And <laughs> with, with a lot of these companies, so there's, there's a whole infrastructure between, you know, trying to essentially reverse engineer and disseminate the ECU, you know, get data out of it so you can modify it. And then you need to figure out how the car runs, you know, kind of understanding how it's, how it's the, the, the philosophy and the parameters behind it was how it was designed and built. And these car uh, companies don't want people to know that. That's no, so they, you are cracking codes. Yeah, yeah, we are we are very much sort of at odds with the stated goals of a lot of these companies. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah. they do not want people cracking their codes Primarily to modify cars that are under warranty. You know, they they build cars to a very high level and they don't want to cover anybody's mistakes if they go and do whatever they want with them, Um, which is is understandable, I mean, in my opinion. But I I think that it's a fallacy to disagree with that. Yeah, I mean, if you lease a car, you should never modify it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and there's... You know, we were we were talking before. You know, Raptor is like the official car of the official truck of, yeah, truck of like everything up here. Um, and you know, welcome to Raptor Town. Here's your Raptor. Yeah, that's the drivers club is Raptors, Porsches, and Ferraris. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's everybody here. Um, well, you need but, the Raptor to pull your Porsche and then tow your Ferrari. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the Raptor, for example, like the the ECU and electronics are are similar in the Raptor, but. For us to venture out into doing that is a is a major undertaking because you have to understand somebody else's philosophy. You know, with with you know Porsche at this point, once you kind of understand where they've gone with this, there's sort of a there's sort of like a predictable algorithm that when a new car comes out, you can you can say okay, it's set at this level, which means that it's capable of this, 
and there's a really happy medium, you know, somewhere X amount above that. And that, that kind of holds true with a lot of the makes that we're, that we're familiar with working in. Now, you know, going to say, you know, Ford Motor Company, which has no relation to any of the other companies that we deal with, you know, those margins and kind of um, traditions that they build cars with are going to be totally different. And again, you don't want to ask questions that you don't know. You don't want to, you know, sell 100 Raptor tunes and find out two years later, oh, it blows up the turbos pretty quick, that kind of thing. So, eh. <laughs> well, that, but that, that is another side of it. You're not only cracking the code, but you're 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 looking at somebody going, "We're going to do this tune on on your car, and we don't have to do anything mechanical to it." But at a certain point, like you said, it becomes mechanical because correct they didn't, you know, yeah. Porsche didn't. What will the bottom end hold up? To? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and what are the turbos going to hold up? To? Everybody yeah. knows that when you get a car from a car company, no matter what it what it what it is. There's a number that, that they tell the insurance company <laughs> as far as horsepower and things like that. And there's a number, really what the engine will do kind of thing. Well, yeah. sort of. It's usually underrated in the Germans. Yeah. And then over, then there's the drivetrain loss. I mean, it's like... Oh, it's, but I'm just saying the mechanical... What, what, what the car is built mechanically, what it can do, you know, like if they sell you a car that, they, that has 300 horsepower, you know mechanically it'll probably go to 400 horsepower without doing big upgrades and things like that. Correct. Most yep. of the time. Yeah. It generalized. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean, it, yeah. Like, so that, that kind of setup is, is like exactly sort of what we work between. Um, and even, you know, talking what Dan was saying, like with how underrated German cars are now, there has been a really interesting phenomenon over the last like four or five years with German cars in relation to like, especially turbocharged ones with how power is rated on them. So there's an SAE test that, you know, has to be done by the manufacturer in order for them to say, you know, market a car that says it makes this much horsepower. And what that test is, is that they, I think they run the car at maximum power for a full minute. And it is the average power output over that period of time. And if anybody's ever driven a car at maximum power for a full minute, that is an extremely long time. Uh, especially with torture a test on a motor. Oh, it's 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 yeah. terrible for it. You know, even even on these like super well engineered things, it, it it raises temperatures like through the roof. Well, ECUs these days are very good about protecting motors, and they have things to monitor and deal with. You know, these kind of extreme cases and, and protect the engine. They will, you know, if intake temperatures or exhaust temperatures or oil or coolant temperatures go up, you know, the ECU will handle it, and they make it very difficult for you to to damage something if you maintain those strategies well it, the ecu doesn't want you to run it at max rpm for a minute is what you're saying uh, it'll or max power max power I say, yeah sorry. it'll it'll do it but um you know it, it's it's gonna it's gonna intervene to to save your motor sure well what has changed is that you know previously it seemed like the philosophy of all these companies like porsche in particular was that they would set the car at a power level that you know it could it could sustain you know its given power level for that full minute, you know even if it had to do protections it would it would stay at that same level kind of in spite of itself you know it would it would uh, you know run really rich and pull some timing but it would add a little bit of boost to make up for it that kind of thing. Well, what has changed is that they now basically will give you as much performance as it can reasonably give for a short period of time, and then back down to what is sort of like a rated power level. Oh. So you start to see all these cars, like the uh, the 991.2 generation cars are kind of the, the ones that we started to collect this data on, where, you know, 991.2 Turbo S, I think it's rated at 580 horsepower at the, at the flywheel stock. And we started to run this thing, and for a period of about 10 seconds, which is a quarter mile pass in that car, 
it was it was far faster than that. Um, you know, a bone stock Turbo S was running with, you know, the the previous 991.1 generation Turbo S with like a tune and an exhaust on it. And the same thing like with the 991.2 GTS, the Turbo Carrera, which is a great platform. We downloaded that car stock and it's rated at 444 horsepower and it was doing almost that to the wheels, um, which means that it's underrated by about 10%. Yeah. And the, the same thing, like those cars, um, the, the airflow to the intercooler is really poor. So they do get hot. They do back performance down. And once that happens, yeah, 444 horsepower is, is you know, kind of right there with where you end up. But for anything that you're going to do on the street, it's going to give you a lot more than that. Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's one really cool thing about, you know, what the state of cars these days is like they are they are giving you the beans, you know, from from the factory and, uh, you know, it's still going to protect itself. And, and, you know, there's going to be a cost to that, but they're giving the enthusiast something back. Yeah, it's interesting. It's there's like you said, the golden age of cars. I don't think there's never been a time where we're getting this kind of performance. The amount of performance we get right off the showroom floor is insane. Insane. Like here's your zero to 60 in two and a half second car. How do you do that? You hit the gas. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay. I had my mom launch my GTR once. It was really fun. That's (laughs) a great story. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she was like 74 at the time. So it was great. (laughs) So I was like, just hit it. We were at the highway nine and Arlington at a light. And I was like, just hold your left foot on the brake. Your right foot on the gas. So when I say go, let your foot off the brake, hold the wheel straight. She's like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> here you go mom zero to 60 in three seconds and you just did an 11 second quarter mile good job <laughs> i don't know what's causing that like i said I, and we've talked about it on the show before but my dad bought his 1985 535 had 185 horsepower and was the most powerful four-door sedan in the world <laughs> which is hard to believe you know at 100 and technology that was a lot of horsepower then though like and now you know we're talking about the porsches coming out you know and i mean 330 mile an hour sscs <laughs> even the 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 992 turbo s um they've been out long enough they're just starting to trickle in in the u.s but they've been out in europe and they're starting to tune them and that car um with a tune only stock exhaust all the emissions equipment intact is doing 700 wheel horsepower which is mind-blowing God. and it's 650 horsepower rated crank so 700 wheel horsepower is nuts that's with a standard tune yeah it's it's uh I, i'd have to see because the other thing too is that how does this drive for performance and efficiency? You know, those, those drivetrain losses that everybody talks about are getting smaller. And the other thing as well is that once you start to get to higher power levels, that, that percentage increase breaks down. Yeah. You know, if, if you had a, if you had a thousand horsepower car with a 20% drivetrain loss, the transmission is, you know, by that math would be absorbing 200 horsepower. The thing would be on fire. Yeah. It'd be which, exploding through the cabin. Yeah. yeah. And there, so, you know, like that whole wheel, the crank horsepower thing is always, it's always kind of like a rule of thumb. Um, it holds up to the it holds up to the most part. Like I I generally believe on modern cars it's somewhere between like eight and twelve percent. Yeah, it's way lower than it's ever been. It's way th- it's way lower. I think um, it's come down to a lot of the just the technology and moving that power from the motor to the ground because you've got I mean fa- you get, you're getting cars with factory carbon fiber drive shafts now and, and yeah. billet aluminum with really advanced clutch systems that lose almost no loss through the drivetrain. Yeah, look how fast Porsches and oh, McLarens especially shift. McLarens shift insanely fast. Oh yeah, um, but. Like, I think we're just, it's that technology paying off for us. Our tolerances are so much tighter than they've ever been, too. Yeah. It's, it's and, you know, this is also kind of a controversial take is, you know, everybody, there, there's kind of this popular consensus that hates on emissions, but 
you know, none of this would exist if it wasn't for emissions laws. Oh yeah. Um, you Thank know, God for OBD too. Yeah. Well, I mean, even like over the last, cats. <laughs> over the last like 10 to 20 years, you know, uh, emissions have gotten stricter and stricter, which have resulted in things like the shift towards, uh, uh, or I should say emissions and fuel economy standards have gotten more and more strict. And with that, you've gotten things like uh, direct fuel injection, which lets you run a higher uh, compression ratio um, and make power at lower RPM without, um, you know, damaging the engine. Saves fuel and, and saves emissions. Um, the whole turbocharging trend and all the technologies that have gone with that um, is all driven by emissions. One big thing that has allowed all these engines to produce so much power is there has been tons of research into uh, the fuel systems, the combustion processes, and then the materials that go into the cylinder head, exhaust valves, turbocharger housings, turbine wheels themselves to withstand these insanely high temperatures, you know, like uh, I want to say 2200 degrees is kind of the the thermal load benchmark that a lot of these components have at this point. And what that, what that lets you do is you can throw way more heat through the exhaust, um, which is partly driven by trying to run cars at full load without running super rich like you used to have to do. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a tremendous amount of work, a tremendous amount of technology that only exists because they're trying to meet a fuel economy number. Yeah, and now we're seeing crazy outputs because we're combining hybrid drive. And there's two there's two ways to look at that, of course. And there's yeah. the, the economics, economical side, which is good. I mean, hey, I'm all about less fuel if you need it. But there's also, you know the NSX and <laughs> the P1 and so but you're also hauling around more weight with the batteries. The yeah. But all that instant torque, yeah, you can balance it off. And then, well, I mean, you know, they, they got to walk before they run, you know, they're, yeah. they're going to figure out how to, they were actively figuring out how to get more energy out of a, out of a smaller, lighter package. Um, and that's something as well, you know, coming from an engineering standpoint, the fact that, you know, you need to put huge brakes on a car in order to absorb all that heat is, is goofy. It's like you, you, you put all that energy into the car and you're just going to waste it through friction. Like put it back into the battery, make yourself go faster, make it so that you don't have to use a super inefficient combustion engine to, to get you to go somewhere. And you know, anybody who values going fast in a car is going to benefit from that. Yeah. Well, I mean the perfectly good example, a quick one. I mean, look at Ford and the Ford GT. I mean, they got it. It's like a massive supercar with a V6 twin turbo. Like and yeah. it's in your truck too, but I'm saying like, yeah, the idea well, of a, a supercar, a supercar <laughs> with a with a V six. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, same size as uh, Porsches. Yeah, forever. So anyway, it's a good time for our next break. We'll take a quick one, and we'll be right back. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. No countdown. Hi, Nick. Here we are. <laughs> Full send. No, no countdown. Full send. Squirrels. <laughs> yeah. So what's what's uh, new for Evo? Because, I mean, you guys are moving to Kirkland. You're going to yeah, open up soon. How'd you end up up here? Yeah, how'd you get to Kirkland? Uh, so my high school sweetheart, now wife, is now a doctor and uh, got a job at UW, and it's pretty hard to argue with that that, that kind of <laughs> commitment. So um, Evo's a Evo's a small company, and you're saving lives. I'm fixing cars. <laughs> Fine, we'll go with you. 
<laughs> it was it was to be honest with you her uh, her decision came down between uh OHSU and UW and I kind of swung the decision from uh from OHSU because Seattle has a bigger car scene uh it's got much better mountain biking as well yes it does those were pretty much the two driving factors well you're gonna be in heaven with what you're doing here because I mean Porsches are like asses on the east side. Everybody's got one. Yeah, it's. It, I to be honest with you, I am. Oh, that's so vulgar. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I have been super blown away in an awesome way for the entire car enthusiast community up here. Um, there's a lot of Porsches. There's a lot of everything up here. People get out and use their cars. We're laughing at the no- the phone. Noise. Sorry, <laughs> that was just Nick. It's his first time, don't worry. It's round robin here. <laughs> it was, it was, I got to take it to Bumble notification. Hold on. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. you're saying. Um, the so car you, community here, yeah. Yeah, so the car community has been great. Um, and we had some established relationships up here. Um, Cantrell Motorsports is a dealer of ours. Awesome business. Yeah, awesome, guys. We love Cantrell. Awesome shop. Um, truly world-class as far as I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I Every car I've driven, not to not to like vouch for them, and this is completely unsponsored. This is just my own objective opinion. Every single car that I've built by them has been an amazing driving car. Yep. Um, there's a lot of places out there that can can put a car together. There's a lot of places out there that can put together a very complex build. There are many fewer who can actually make it drive amazing, and uh, and Cantrell knocks it out of the park on that, in my experience. Yep. We have a, a lot of listeners, a lot of friends that are customers of Cantrell. And as you're looking out at Drivers Club, of course, there's a lot of them out there. Poor city out there, yep. yeah. So, yeah, you're going to be – it's kind of funny. The, the Northwest, I've noticed – I mean, I grew up here, so did Nick. Um, Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, and uh, Raptor, apparently, but and Subaru. I was like, Porsche, I was like, Audi, Volkswagen, Subaru, Subaru yeah. is like probably 50% of the cars here. Yeah, it's kind of funny because we all-wheel drive works great here because it's just we're wet all the time. We don't have the snow and all that, but the, the constant rain, like everybody loves that traction and the grip they offer, which they're really good at, and they're fun to drive here. Yeah, and it's even, you know, the, the one thing that we have up here, Arizona, if anybody goes down to Arizona, Arizona is a, a great place to be into cars. There's oh, some, some beautiful roads down there, but one thing that I missed in Arizona that I am loving to death out here is uh, in Arizona, all the, all the roads are like kind of wide open straight. If you got a supercar, it's great. You can stretch its legs all over the place. You can only so drive many. up and down to Jerome so many times before you're like, okay, I've done this. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, Jerome, Sedona, uh, the road to Payson, if nobody does yep. that. 87, the Beeline Highway, is is phenomenal stretch of road. Almost probably one of the most beautiful in the country, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, around here in Seattle, if you want to get out and drive a car, you know, go go. It's kind of a great place to go, you know, drive a slow car really hard. You know, the, the amount of second and third gear corners around here is like, you know, <laughs> next level, um, which is uh, is kind of difficult if you're a supercar tuner because there aren't very many straight, flat, very grippy roads. But Just uh, an excuse to drive east. I was say, as soon as you get south of Lewiston, man, it's it's just heaven. It's, it's open from there, <laughs> just yeah. Just don't get a ticket there. Yeah. Ever. They've set world records over there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. Yep. So... Um, well, um, what do you think your what's where is your shop at exactly in Kirkland? I know you guys aren't open yet, but when it does, you guys are. I'm assuming you said Totem Lakes. Are you guys out the backside there by um, behind the Toyota dealer? Yep. Yeah, we're just we're just north of the Toyota dealer, um, in with the uh, Carb Connection, Imperial, all those other guys. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same same uh, complex as Imperial, Vintage Motor Car, Veloce. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
we got lots of friends over there. Lots of yep. listeners, lots of friends. We love those guys. So. Yeah, it was get, getting in with that neighborhood was amazing because there's you know when you when you do this, it takes a village. You know, mm-hmm. we 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 focus and do one thing well, and uh, we try to do that really well, and you know can't do everything. So being you know within a block of of so many other businesses and people that you can rely on is is awesome. Yeah, I just had Imperial just did my paint protection on my Raptor, actually. I, they're the, our, a good friend of ours, Billy William, who works at, he's a volunteer at Exotics, does uh, some yep. work for them over there. So I, he, I knew they did good stuff in my Porsche, so I took my Raptor over there. Yep. Small world. It always is. We always laugh. Everybody's like a block away from everybody we know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it makes it's, it easier. Yeah. <laughs> every city, every community that you go to, it's always a small world when you're when you're on that side of the industry. Yeah. And you got your sports car guys with your mountain bike guys. Yeah, it was, uh, so I'm, I'm fortunate. I'm basically here today because, uh, uh, like I said, I moved up here to go mountain biking. We picked, we picked our, uh, we picked where we live. I live east of Redmond because it was within a half hour of Doothy, Doothy, Tokel, Raging River, Tiger yeah, Mountain, you got everything all, right there. all these like world-class places to ride a bike. Um, and, uh, it so happens that all my mountain bike buddies are into cars as well, which has been a, been an awesome group to get involved with say boy did you come to the right place yep. yeah <laughs> it, it's it's uh you know there there are moves in life that you can make that uh that are uphill battles and this has been so awesome since i since i moved up here what kind of writing do you do i mean i know you're a mountain biker but what are you writing uh right now my covid project was a santa cruz hightower lt nice. oh cool okay nice um, bike. so i went from i got into the i got back into the sport about three years ago i was super into it you know, way back when, way before all that racing, some stuff that I did and got out of it because I spent a bunch of money on a bike that I outgrew in like a year and a half and got into cars and girls and who wants to pedal a bike when you have a car kind of thing. Get well, on the handlebars. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. a few years ago, I was I was uh, pretty invested with work and needed a hobby and realized, hey, I live an hour and a half from Sedona and isn't that an amazing place to ride mm-hmm. a mountain bike? Mm-hmm. And went up there, rented a bike if nobody has mountain bike, mountain biking is super fun, but it is extremely physically demanding. And uh, over the course of about an hour, killed myself about three times and <laughs> had to do it. Um, and got totally sucked on that rabbit hole. And like I said, made a lifestyle change, basically centered around that hobby. And um, it's a lot like cars, a lot of carbon fiber, size of your wheels, <laughs> it's, it's, your, yeah. your brakes. There's, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think that, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mountain bikers who are into cars and kind of vice versa because it's, it's very similar in that, you know, you have this kind of machine that you can obsess about and perfect. Um, there's a lot of parallels that you can draw between, you know, the experience of, of trying to improve the technique of riding a bike and then, you know, taking your car to the track, for example. Except with mountain biking, what's awesome is that, you know, for almost no incremental cost of entry and almost, you know, compared to a car, no consumable cost, you have, you know, there are probably 50 quote-unquote racetracks around here that you can take your your bike down. You can go as fast as you want with no cops that are going to pull you over and do anything like that. Um, And it's it's an amazing outlet for need for speed. Yeah, I was going to say, ten grand in the mountain bike world will get you a lot. It'll get you and that everything. Is, and that'll get you, and that is like the bare minimum entry level <laughs> to any kind of motorsport. Oh yeah, that's like that's like if you've got an old spec Miata and somebody's giving you tires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> Miata is always the answer. Yes. Why would is. you drive one of no? <laughs> well, it's like I mean, it's awesome car. You know, you you want to like you want to go to a track day, and and you know, in my experience with that, it's it's a week of prep. 
Uh, you go to the track and you have a lot of fun for a couple of days, but it's like, it's, you know, bare minimum a thousand bucks for that experience between, you know, consumables, fees, all that stuff. And, you know, you want to go for a mountain bike ride and it's like, well, 25 minutes to get dressed and you go drive down there and then you go ride around for an hour. And that's, that's it's a lot easier to fix your bike too when something breaks. The chain also, also very the can be very expensive yeah. as well. Oh, but I didn't say it couldn't be expensive. It's just easier. Still to not more than one set of tires on a 991 Turbo, I can tell you that. Those, uh, <laughs> you know, those collarbones and those uh, those ER visits can get up there, too. That's that's kind of the cost. That's but. true. Not for you. you got an in-house doctor. It's <laughs> true. Hey, honey, she, I broke something again. Yeah, it's broke, yeah. <laughs> she's, a, she's a pathologist. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> specializes in doing things like, you know, cutting apart body parts and doing autopsies and stuff like that. So well, then she can things. recycle you into something else. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's had that speech with you. I could recycle you. <laughs> <laughs> Have you uh, looked into becoming an advance partner yet to open up? Oh, absolutely. Awesome. That's, that's a, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed with um, experience and the ability to go throughout this process and be really patient of establishing a shop up here. Um, we have a, we do a lot with, with mail order, um, both like parts and tuning. Um, we have a dealer network around the country and around the world that we work through. Um, and what that's given me the luxury of is, is you know, sustaining a business while doing everything that we need to to set up a shop how I want it to be. Um, I have been, I've been gifted enough to be in the position to see a bunch of shops set up, having worked on that and see what kind of works and what doesn't work. Um, and with this go around, it's kind of one of the first opportunities that I've had to put something together myself and, and do it how I want. Um, and through happenstance, I, I happened to um, met a guy who bought a car that uh, we had built way back in the day. Um, he's, he's local up here and uh, bought this car in kind of a state of disrepair and called me up one day just kind of, you know, looking for some direction on how he could get this thing sorted out. And we eventually kind of went through it, and, you know, it was, was going to be kind of complicated. It's a 996 Turbo, which are early 2000s were not a, a great time for simplicity and reliability in a, in a car like that. But he, he needed some, some help and guidance, and we had the conversation, and finally asked him, you know, where are you located? And he's like, Redmond, Washington. And I'm like, I'm five minutes from you. Do you just want me to come over and look at it? And he's like, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, That's customer service. Yeah, it was... I do what I can. Yeah. But he and I ended up kind of kicking off a, a relationship. He's got some some amazing talents and aspects that have been really complementary to my own. And he and I ended up going in together on kind of the design and the, the construction of this of, uh, of our shop. Um, and one of the cool things that's going together is, you know, we're, we're putting a lot of thought into every single thing that goes into what's fairly small space. So the shop itself is beautiful. Um, I wanted something that was really bright and easy to work in, having just come out of a shop that was seemed like it sucked all the light out of the air. So it's, it's very bright. Um, it has a very, very clean aesthetic that's primarily driven by him. I got a picture last night of uh, we bought a shop vac that didn't fit the style sheet that he had put together. So the shop vac has been disassembled and, uh, <laughs> and painted to match the rest of the equipment in the shop. Wow. I love people um, like you and that. Matt from he and Matt from Obsessed Garage must get along great. Oh, <laughs> it's it's uh you know it's one of those things that that makes no rational sense, but it's something that we can take a huge amount of pride in, and and we'll really you know even so far with the couple little projects that we've taken on have made it an awesome place to work. And cool. um, 
building this during COVID has been immensely frustrating um, between, you know, everything from trying to get contractors in to, to finish work. That was a whole adventure that took three times as long as it should have um, to now kind of getting in like the last pieces of equipment that we need to, to put everything in place and get it all sort of like fully operational and set up there. Availability um, of things is tough right now. Oh it's, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, from, from a consumer side of things, trying to buy equipment to, you know, sort of being a manufacturer and, and, you know, working with, you know, kind of first and second tier suppliers to get a hold of everything from finished parts to raw materials is, is a disaster right now. Yeah. I feel like everybody, you know, in our industry, like we were, we were pretty fortunate with, with COVID because, you know, a lot of automotive businesses were, were allowed to stay open. They didn't have to shut down. And once everybody else in the world was stuck at home, not being able to do everything except, you know, think about and go play with their car uh-huh. Uh-huh. they didn't have to spend all that money going on vacations and going out to eat and all other stuff they just wanted to put it into their uh-huh. car mm-hmm. uh it was a it was a pretty big windfall for us and with with how everything worked out it, it worked out pretty well we were able to to kind of maintain what we we're doing put some more money into the project and and didn't really have to lose out on too much but starting around july it was like you know you go to you go to restock something and suddenly it takes twice as long as it as it took before to get a hold of it. And I know my Amazon orders are like up to forty eight hours now. <laughs> it's fine. I, I'm gonna be rich. I invested in toilet paper before this started, so <laughs> I have rolls upon rolls. Yeah. <laughs> TP rich. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, I was going to say, we've got a lot of amounts coming up, stuff coming up. Have you talked to those guys? Because uh, your, your cars would be like, <laughs> you'd have fanboys. Yeah. There, literally. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, I, I've, I've, I've been hesitant to put my name out there again because I don't want to draw a bunch of interest to something that I'm not completely 100% set up to handle. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, it's so easy in this industry to bite off more than you can chew because there's, there's so much beyond just, you know, spinning wrenches and, and looking at the computer. There's so much that goes into working with all these cars that, you know, it's, it's a really finite resource that we have to put into it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, wanting to get set up, being able to deliver the type of experience that, you know, working on exotic cars really demands, um, is, is really important to us. And we, you know, we want to make sure that we can walk before we run, so to speak. So, As, as everything gets built out, um, you know, especially over the winter, there's kind of a natural downturn in this kind of thing. Um, you know, we're hoping to, hoping to get cushion set up and, and kind of get things rolling in that. And, um, you know, more towards spring and next summer, hopefully do something like an open house, get involved in some of these events, maybe even put on some of our own events, um, would, would be awesome to see. We'll definitely work with you on that too. We can definitely help there. So, uh, people want to get a hold of you. How do they do that? Uh, best ways to, uh, uh, to email me right now, mm-hmm. uh, stone at evomus.com info would be at evomus.com. Um, we're kind of, uh, we're sort of open for business, but it's definitely a soft open and yeah, people know. have questions. I know for now we'll, we'll, we'll let you guys know when they open back up officially. Of course, we'll talk about that on the show. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of Avance members hitting you up because <laughs> you are right up their alley. Um, but let's speaking of Avance, so we got some events coming up, uh, our Denver listeners, Sorry, I couldn't make it through there. Bought my truck in Arizona. I apologize. Uh, November 1st, 2020, Advanced uh, Denver Drive. Should be about two hours. Um, 
Avon's at Dirtfish Rally School is coming up. Half day, rear wheel drive. I th- that looks like it's still not sold out. That's November 6th. Um, seeing more expansion outside of our zone, which makes me happy. Uh, private collection tour in Salem, Oregon, for those of you down there. And then the weather thing I want to bring up, we had such an awesome time yesterday getting our vehicles extremely dirty. They got another one coming up November 21st. So I'll warn Park Place ahead of time. I'll be coming back. Um, yeah, I'm going to work with Adam on getting some kind of detail special set up after that because, man, there are a lot of members who need it. <laughs> we got dirty. We need to talk about an Avance member. Oh, we do. Yeah, that's right. Fernando. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my show, Fernando. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put this gracefully, you peckerhead. <laughs> we were at an Avance event. We were at the Avance event yesterday, and I am standing next to Dan. And Fernando literally comes up, walks past me, and goes, Dan, I listened to your show. <laughs> I was like, what the f- <laughs> So we're so We're so glad you listened. Fernando, <laughs> everything else has been expl- been deleted out, but you know, he knows how I feel. Good God, I'm here too. Damn it, people! I am matter. <laughs> so okay, I'm, I'm couldn't done. do it without you, buddy. I'm done. Yeah, thank. Well, thank you, Dan. <laughs> Not what Fernando said. <laughs> so okay, I'm over it now. I, I just got I got a dartboard. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> so, we're good. So, yeah, well, if you could upload a higher resolution picture of yourself, Sam, for yeah, other reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Sam, Sam Fernando. No, Fernando. Sam. Yeah, Fernando. Yeah, That's for it. other reasons that I don't want to talk about. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for coming in. We look forward to seeing and, and you know, being a part of the community with you uh, going forward. So Looking forward okay. to it. Uh, for this episode of RCS, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. And don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>